because of our doing the shoeboxes, we're going to skip the Philippians 1-6 testimony today. I know that y'all like those, and, and I do too, but for, for time's sake, we're not going to do it today. We'll come right back with it uh, next week, and you can be looking forward to that. If you would, turn in the Bible to Psalm 87. Psalm 87 where we're going to come from today. We've been walking through the Psalms and have spent a lot of, a lot of time there. There are so many different emotions and life experiences and feelings that come out uh, in the book of Psalms. Last week we were Psalm 73. That was a good one. Today we're going to look at 87. 87 is a, a different Psalm. It's a short one, only seven verses. It's a really hard one too. Uh, so I, I hope today you're going to learn a little bit and be challenged to think a little bit. Psalm 87 gets us thinking about the city of God. God's place. And anytime you start thinking about God's place, you think about it for a little bit and, and you almost naturally transition into thinking about God's people. Okay, God's place is for God's people. But we're going to think about God's place today which in the Old Testament seems huge, and in the New Testament seems to be uh, not as huge, but we're going to put all that together and make some sense of it. But this psalm introduces, where is our place? Where is our home? And where are we from? I want to ask you here today if you are proud of where you're from. Are you proud of that? Are you, are you proud to be from Fairdale? When you go... Out and about, will you wear a Fairdale t-shirt? Are you proud to go to church here? Are you proud of this place? Are you proud of where you're from? You know, I'm not a big fan of Tennessee. But at every football game, they play good old Rocky Top. Rocky Top, Tennessee, right? And I'm not from Tennessee, and I don't care anything about Tennessee. I think that orange color is ugly, no offense to the Harrisons. <laughs> and Troy's not here to defend himself. <laughs> but uh, I like it that they have that song, don't y'all? That's a cool song, and they play that, and they play, it, they play it proudly. Good old Rocky Top. And every time they score a touchdown, they play it again, you know? And in North Carolina, we have some... Some songs that we sing about North Carolina. In Kentucky, we have a good song. And even just me beginning to read some words will touch your heart, I'm sure. The sun shines bright in the old Kentucky home. Tis summer, the people are gay. The corn tops ripe and the meadows in the bloom while the birds make music all the day, right? I'm not even from here, and I like that song. I'm not even from here, um, and I love to hear that song, right? Don't they sing it at the Kentucky Derby every time right before it? And that's an awesome, awesome scene. My old Kentucky home. Now, there may be many reasons why that song connects with us, but I think a lot of the reason why it connects with us is because it has the word home in it, right? This is where we're from. And it doesn't matter where you're from, where you're from means something to you, right? Don't you love it when somebody starts singing, God bless America? Yes. 
Now, there are a lot of good reasons for us to be proud of where we're from, but there are also reasons why we may be ashamed of where we're from or embarrassed for that. If a place is doing something wrong or has a bad reputation or is involved in bad things, then we might not be so quick to boast that's where we're from. I went this past year to the KFC Yum Center to watch North Carolina play. I wore a gray shirt that day that didn't say anything about North Carolina. Okay? You know what I'm saying. There may be times where we're not going to necessarily boast where we're from. That one's a little bit lighthearted, but there also may be times where we're just a little bit embarrassed for the place. Well, in life, we don't get to pick where we're from, do we? Now, we can move and change our roots, right? I say I'm from North Carolina, and my kids proudly say that they're from Fairdale, Louisville, Kentucky. We've, we've changed that in our family, right? My kids are not from North Carolina. They're not growing up with that experience. They're growing up here. Yet, we can't totally disconnect where we're from. And Psalm 87 gets us thinking like this. But it does it not beginning with where we're from. It does it beginning with that God has a place. God has a location. God has a, a city, if you will. And it gets us thinking about that. Read with me Psalm 87. And from there it works its way back. Short psalm, only seven verses. It says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. More than all the dwelling places of Jacob, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High will Himself establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples, this one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Interesting psalm, right? At first glance, we think, I don't know what any verse in that whole psalm is talking about. I have read and studied and talked and consulted a lot this week to try to figure out Psalm 87. I think there are two very clear points. The first is that the place of God is glorious. The place of God is glorious. Secondly, the people of God are known. The place of God is glorious and the people of God are known. Let's start there with verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city He founded. The introduction in verse 1 is that God has a city that He founded. In other words, God has a place. Now in verse 1 here, the psalmist certainly has Jerusalem in mind. God's place, the place where, where God is from, the place where Jesus would be born, the place where God's people went to meet. Jerusalem, the city of God. It has Jerusalem in mind. And God founded it. God, God created it. Verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion. And He uses this word Zion. 
Zion's a word that you see all the time in the Bible. And, and many times, people can't exactly tell you what they mean by Zion. Perhaps you've got some hope of what Zion means, but let's think about it like this. When he says Zion here in Psalm 87, he's referring to Jerusalem. Yet, he's thinking about Jerusalem in a sense of, in the perfect sense. The place in which God meets with His people. So you and I think today about meeting with God. We are the people of God. We meet with God, and yet we haven't thought at all about Jerusalem. So I want you to think about the psalmist has in mind the city of Jerusalem, but he has in mind the meeting place of God in the fullest sense, which carried over ultimately gets us thinking about heaven. I want you to think about Jerusalem, and I want you to think about heaven. And I want you to try to think about those together the whole time that we're looking at this today. He says that the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. The holy mount gets us thinking about that God has established his city, his place in a strong way. God has established the city, the place of God to be established on truth. There is no knowing of God mixed in with error. There is no knowing of God where we've come up with it ourselves. The city of God, the place of God, the meeting and connecting with God is established on God's terms. And it is not in question. Matthew Henry says, It is built firmly. The mountains are rocky. On a rock the church is built. The world is founded upon the seas which are continually ebbing and flowing and are a very weak foundation. But the church is built upon the everlasting mountains. It's this idea. Matthew Henry has taken the city, the Zion, the Jerusalem, and has advanced it all the way forward to the church, which we'll get to later. But it's the same idea here. that It is, a fa- it is established. It is founded on a holy mount. It is secure. Now, What do we mean when we say that the place of God is glorious? What what is the place of God? Well, these days, we don't talk a whole lot about the place of God. Every once in a while, people will get a little bit overboard with talking about church as the place of God, and we will remind ourselves that the church is not the building, is it? The church is the people. If a tornado came through here last night and wiped this whole place out, and there wasn't even a single brick left, could we have still had church this morning? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely we could. As long as the church can can get here, the church can have church, right? So what do we mean by the place? Why don't you just think a little bit. Do you remember how the Bible began? The Bible says that God made everything, made the whole world, but then He made the Garden of Eden. And He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that? And He told them what to do in the garden. He told them what not to do, which turns out was really just one rule. But then they disobeyed God and the Bible tells us that God had come walking in that garden. So there was a place where God had put them and there was a place where God was walking. It says God was walking in the garden in that place. And then, after their sin, therefore comes the fall, therefore comes the judgment of God. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that God took Adam and Eve and placed them outside of the garden. They were in the place where they were to be with God. They sinned against God and they were taken out of the place. We see that there. Well, we move forward a little bit and you remember when God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12 and and gives him the promise that so much of our whole Bible is, is built upon is Abraham's faith in the covenant that God made to him. 
Do you remember that God told him he's going to make him a people? But he also said what? He'll give him a, a land. And then so much of the Old Testament is God trying to get His people to, to that place, right? Do you remember Moses, which, come, which came sometime after that? Moses is trying and the people of Israel are in slavery and they're wandering in their wilderness and all of this stuff and they get right there and they, they can see uh, Jericho, the promised land. And God tells Moses, Moses says, there it is. And God tells Moses, you're not going into it. God had a place He was wanting to take His people, but He's not going to let Moses go there. All this stuff is around place, and the people of Israel knew that that place was going to be glorious. Why? Because that place was seen as the place where God met His people. If you wanted to meet with God, you went to the place where you knew God came and met. God is God. He's a, he's a spirit. You don't find God walking around on the street. You don't take God into your, your sinful, worldly places and God meets you there. God is holy and if they wanted to meet with God, they meet with God on God's terms. And that's always the way it is. God's place is glorious. God's place is pure. The place of God is glorious. And this is what the psalmist has in mind. He's picturing God's city. Certainly Jerusalem, but looking forward to heaven. The city of Zion, the city of God. He says, it's founded on the holy mount. And God, the Lord, loves the gates of Zion. Don't you love it when they start mentioning the gates? This is the type of stuff that gets us fired up. What do you do with the gates of a city? It's where you go in, right? It's where you go in. And don't you, don't you love the idea of going into the city of God. Don't you love the idea of entering into the glorious place of God? How might one enter into the place of God? The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Now the psalmist is, is telling us that, that, that God is worshipped in many places. As Jacob has traveled, they had set up tabernacle and they had worshipped there. But there's something about Jerusalem in which God has said is more glorious than anywhere else. The psalmist knows this. He's excited about Jerusalem. Verse 3, kind of in a summary of 1 and 2, he says, Glorious things of you were spoken, O city of God. So we have it called the city in verse 1. We have it called Zion in verse 2. And we have it called the city of God in verse 3. This is helpful in thinking he has Jerusalem in mind, but he is thinking about a heavenly city. He's thinking about where God meets His people. He's thinking about Jerusalem in its fullest sense. I had somebody tell me this week that, that, that Zion is eschatological Jerusalem, meaning Jerusalem in, in the final set, setting. He has that in mind. Do you think about that? Do you think about the place where you meet with God now and then? Do you have those two places in mind? God's place is glorious. Listen to Psalm 84 verse 10. It may be the same page in your Bible. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
This psalmist, the psalmist of Psalm 84, knows that the place of God is glorious. And if I've got the worst role there, it's better than any role without it. The place of God. And then he says that glorious things are spoken of this place. And they are. People speak highly of Jerusalem and people speak highly of the place you meet with God. But I want to ask us, how do, we, how do we sort that out? Do you and I have to go to a certain place to meet with God? Are we like the, the Muslims that have to take a pilgrimage to get to Mecca? Do we have a Mecca? Is there a place where God is and we're trying to, to get there so that we can find God? Not so much. This is why in the Old Testament this looks really clear and in the New Testament not as much. Where do you and I meet with God? Did you have to come here to meet with God? Is the significance of you being here today that God is here? Please, no it's not. The significance of you being here today is that this is where God's people are meeting. This is where God's people are meeting to hear the preached Word of God. I hope you know that. I hope that understanding that has as much power to you that little things that would prohibit church involvement would not prohibit it. I hope that your, your, your zeal to be here is as strong as the zeal here in Psalm 87 or, or the quote from Psalm 8410 because here is where God's people meet. And wherever God's people meet, when God's people meet, I want to be there. And if there's a place where the Word of God is being preached to God's people, by all means, I want to be there. Sometimes it's often troubling to think of how much that does not matter to people. The place of God is glorious. So where is the place of God now, I'm asking? Well, the New Testament talks all the time about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Where is that? Well, we know one thing that we're really clear about is there is a heaven somewhere that people are going to get to. What does that mean for us now? Is there a meeting place for God? Absolutely. The meeting place of God is where God is. Where does God dwell? God dwells in His people. Do you remember that passage in Matthew where He says, where two or more are gathered, so I will be also? Folks, God is where God's Holy Spirit is in His people. If you don't have a category for Holy Spirit changed lives, if you don't have a category for a new creation and new birth, if you don't understand that God truly does live inside of people, then, then you don't understand the place of God being glorious. You don't understand Psalm 87 where it says glorious things of you are spoken. You don't understand why I get worked up on saying it's important for you to be here. It's important for God's people to meet. It's important for God to be in the midst of His people. He does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're wanting to meet with God, then we will also say, it's not along the same lines, but we will also say that God speaks through His Word. If you're wanting a meeting place, you meet with the people of God. If you're wanting to hear from God, you go to His Word. And church combines both of those. That's why you find somebody who is committed to church and committing to the preaching of the Word of God, you will see their life being changed. Somebody who comes and listens and processes. Somebody who looks around and realizes, man, they're really involved. They're they're, they're committed. Hey, I see that they're singing. Hey, I see that they came forward and they wanted to pray. I heard them pray. God's place is glorious. Glorious things are spoken of God's place, O city of God. So the church, meaning the people, not the building, is... Where God is. 
He lives inside of those people that are born again. Listen how Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking of glorious things, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. You like that? God says that we are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen race. There is something special about the people of God. And that is that God dwells in them. That is the place. And glorious things should be spoken of her. The place of God is glorious. This is what He has in the first three verses. But then it shifts here at verse 4, and it goes on to the people of God are known. Look what it says. Among those who know Me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. And here are named five different places that are not associated with God in the positive. These are, these are bad places and bad things. These are places and peoples that have opposed God. Rahab and Babylon are representative of the nations that were going against Israel, that were mean to them, that were wrong to them, that were attacking them, that were enemies of God's people. And now God speaks of them in a, in a somewhat good light. He says that they know Him. Rahab was representative of, uh, of the pagan mythology that was inside of Egypt. Babylon was the nation that overtook Israel and took them in. Psalm 89, just two psalms later, in verse 10 tells us they were rejoicing when God crushed Rahab. And now he says, they, they know me. Then he names three other places, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. All of these are Gentile nations. All of these are nations that you read the Old Testament that were against God and His people. And now God speaks of them in a good light. He says, this one was born there, they say. You see what's happening? God is saying that, the people, that there are people in these places that know me, and yet people are remembering, but, but, but they're from there. You mean you got a kid who's making good grades at Fairdale High School? You mean that fella's from North Carolina? That's what they're saying. They're saying, man, this one was born there? And God says He knows them? Yes, God's people are known. Let's keep going, it gets even better. And of Zion, so now He's going to talk about another place. Remember, that's God's place. It shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. In other words, the city of God can be the place where you're from, even though you've got another place that you're from. So I've got a hometown, and then I've got a new hometown, it says. For the Most High, that's God Himself, will establish her. God is creating this new hometown, which is the city of God, which is Zion. He is creating that in people. Namely, in people who are from Rahab, from Babylon, from Philistia, from Tyre, from Cush, and from the USA or from anywhere else. This is what God does. It's fascinating. In other words, it is so real and so true when you consider the hope of God, that you cannot judge a book by its cover. Now you can, and stereotypes sometimes are true, but when you factor in God and how He changes people, cleans people up, forgives them of their sins, gives them a new life, gives them a new heart, that changes everything. You very well might be from a pagan worshiping country where the Bible's not allowed and Jesus is not known, but if God decides to birth inside of you His good news and His new life, then you can be from that place and also from Zion. You can be a child of God. Just listen to the words. Now, y'all know Egypt, right? Egypt's the easiest one to talk about. Egypt is, 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 is the setting of the first five books of the Bible when God's people are slaves in Egypt, right? You remember Pharaoh and how cruel he was to God's people. Just listen to this in Isaiah chapter 19. Just listen as I read. 
In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, He will send them a Savior and Defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians. Does everybody hear that? The Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship and sacrifice and offering and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord and He will listen to their pleas for mercy and He will heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, and a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Can you imagine that God can do that? Are you hearing that the world is full of people that we identify as, they don't have any connection to God, and yet God is telling us that when the message of the gospel goes out and somebody takes the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, God has a power that is working to see those people come to know Him. When we say every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, like the video said, it is not a hopeful shot in the dark that these pagan people are never going to know Him. The reason why we quote that so often is because the New Testament book of Revelation has pictures of heaven and tells us that those people will be there. If they're not believing in Him yet, it's coming soon. And so missions is supported. And in Psalm 87, he's speaking about this. It says in verse 5 that God Himself will establish that in her. In these pagan Gentile nations. Look what he says in verse 6. The Lord records as He registers the peoples. This one was born there. Can you imagine? God takes role. You ever been to school and had one of those teachers that didn't take role? Man, everybody loves it when the teacher doesn't take role. You go to a big school and they got like 500 people in freshman history. Teacher says, there's too many of y'all, I'm not taking role. You're like, great. You go to small school and there's only 20 people in freshman history. Teacher's like taking role every day. God takes role of everybody. Now, we think if the, if the class gets too big, we're not going to take role. We can't keep up with all these people, right? Some churches, listen, some churches have gotten so big that they've abandoned church membership. People aren't known and people aren't kept up with. If you're involved there, it's based off your involvement. And if you go missing, that's on you. That's not the way the Bible teaches us to be. We are accountable one for another. If somebody goes missing, we ought to miss them and go get them. God keeps role of the some seven billion that are on earth today and of everyone that has ever lived. The Lord has a record. He registers the people. He says, I know where he was born. I know where he was born. And I know where he was born. It's awesome to think that God knows his people in such a way. Do you realize that the Bible teaches us that when we stand in judgment, God is going to pull out record books. And not only is He going to tell us where we're born, but He's going to tell us everything we've ever said or done. 
And every time we've put our foot in our mouth or every time we've cursed somebody or every time we've just been lazy, every time we've loved something more in our heart, God's got it all written down. He's got it registered. He's got it recorded. He knows us. And there's another book the Bible talks about called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in the Lamb's Book of Life is recorded the name of everybody that is saved. The Lamb is Jesus who gave His life and shed His blood for us. And all who are washed in the blood of the Lamb are forgiven of their sins. And God has a list of everybody that will trust Him. You might say that God is an excellent bookkeeper. You might say that God is a very detailed accountant. He balances the checkbook to the very last penny. He registers the peoples. This one was born there. I want to ask you if you are known by God in that way. Do you love the idea that God knows you, knows you through and through? Do you love the idea that God knew where you were last night? He knew where you were this morning. He knows where your heart is right now. Do you realize that He knows exactly, exactly where you are? He knows your address. He knows where your pillow is. He knows your heart. Last night, J.J. was showing me some things on Google Maps. Have you all ever seen Google Maps? There's a game they can play where you drive a car anywhere you want to on Google Maps. Next thing I know, J.J.'s at Chieftain Drive and saying, well, let me zoom in there. Oh, yeah, there's your car, Dad. I said, well, am I in the backyard in my pajamas? They got a video and picture on Google Maps of, of us. I said, were well, we in the backyard? Are the neighbors out? What's going on? Google Maps sees everything. You can check and see if your car's in the driveway. But you know who sees so much more is God. He's got His eyes on us. He knows our hearts. He knows where we're going. He knows what we're feeling. He knows why we love Him. He knows why we don't. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows why we're absent. He knows our excuses don't hold any water with what our heart is feeling. He knows that our excuses are trying to cover up what our heart's feeling, but He knows that what's more important is our heart. God is saving people and changing lives. And He sent Jesus to die for our sins. And Jesus died and came back to life that we would be forgiven and find life in Him. And He does this in such a way that it's not God off in the distance saying, come to me. It is a very detailed eyes on us, dealing with us. And as we experience that God is dealing with me, I'm struggling with this, I'm feeling something, I, we, we, we come to see that God is working to draw me to Him. I feel the hand of God upon me. I feel the conviction of sin. I feel the love of God pulling me closer to Him. And all of that is, is this detail of being known by God. A lot of times we talk about the fact that, that, that we need to know God, but I want to encourage you here today that for the people who have a desire to know God, it is because they are coming to understand how much God already knows them. Just listen to this verse from Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. My being able to see and understand and comprehend and love and make sense of who I am and my feelings and the forgiveness of sins and my identity only comes through your light shining on me. But the beginning of that verse says, for in you is the fountain of life. And that's exactly how this ends. One might think verse 7 is so out of line with the rest of Psalm 87. It says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. 
What is that? Well, that is the response that you see from somebody who knows how to meet God in the place of God and yet is strengthened by, I'm known by God. There's many people who know about church is where the people of God meet, but it hardly strengthens them. There's many people who are aware of Jerusalem and going to Jerusalem to meet where God meets, and yet they did not rejoice at it. But for those people who know I was born here, yet God has birthed inside of me a new home, You remember that language of of the new birth with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? When God has created in you His new life, given you a new home to where you now say, heaven is my home. Do you recall to mind all of the New Testament passages that teach us that we are aliens here? That our home is in heaven? Our citizenship is in heaven? We are residents of heaven more than we are here? You might say we're nomads walking around on earth until God takes us home. A lot of times you don't like to use this type of language in everyday life, but you sure love it when it comes time to die, right? Take me home, God. Well, what if that was true from the low points to the high points? What if that was true day in and day out? What if that was true when we're on our deathbed? And what if that was true when we're nowhere near our deathbed, when we're at our strongest, it seems? What the Bible is teaching us here is that God births a new home in us, the home being the city of God, the home being God. And so the response would be singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you, all my fountains are in you, every single source of joy is in you, God. I want to read to you Psalm 46. Psalm 46 verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. In other words, God is the very source of all that I am. He's the source of my joys. He's the source of me being a person. He's the source of me having a place that I'm proud to be from. Namely, God. Listen, you can be proud of where you're from. Or you can be ashamed of where you're from. But I'm here to tell you today that where you're from doesn't have to define you. Doesn't matter if you're from the east end or from the south end, those type of stereotypes don't have to define you. And if you're a child of God, I hope that here today you are certainly more identified with I'm a citizen of heaven more than I am of anywhere else. Should I get all worked and try to convince my kids to be North Carolina fans? Should I abandon North Carolina and become a UK fan? Over my dead body, by the way. (laughs) Should I? Those things don't ultimately matter, do they? Be a fan. Be a big fan. But make sure your home is in heaven. Make sure you're known by the Father who dwells in heaven. I want to end with this great passage. In John chapter 1. If you can turn there, I'd like for you to, because I want you to see this. John chapter 1. Jesus is on the scene. The first 18 verses are the prologue. John the Baptist comes forward, gives us that great statement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist in all humility says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus calls the first disciples, that great passage of Peter and Andrew, right? It was Andrew first, and Andrew went and got his brother Peter. We love that passage. After that, you have Philip and Nathaniel. 
43 of John chapter 1. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Everybody look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip and Nathanael and Peter and Andrew and everybody else were looking for a Savior. The Savior had come out of Nazareth. A poor little town where you wouldn't have ever expected the King of Kings to come from. He said, we found him. Nathaniel says, from Nazareth, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Give me a break. Look what happens. Philip said to him, we'll come and see Philip understands that where you're from doesn't have to define you. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. What's that say? Jesus already knew Nathanael. Nathanael didn't know Jesus, but Jesus knew Nathanael. So watch Nathanael's reaction, verse 48. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And didn't Psalm 87 tell you God's got you registered? Didn't Psalm 87 tell you God's already got you in his books? He says, how do you know me? Look at look what Jesus answered. Before Philip even called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Well before Philip saw Jesus and Philip called Nathaniel, well before any of that, God had his eyes on Nathaniel. He knew him. Why? Because he's God. He's our Father in heaven. He's got His people registered. I want to ask you here today if you're known by God. Have you brought yourself into faith and trusting in Christ? Are your sins forgiven? Is your life in Him? Do you feel like in your life is a fountain springing forth of God being in you? Do you feel a great allegiance and loyalty toward the city of God? When people speak, verse 3, glorious things of the city of God, do you think, that's my hometown. That's my father. When you hear of all that God is doing in the world, do you think, that's my family. That's what we do. Are you a child of God? Are you in his family? Are you from heaven and going back to heaven? May you trust Christ. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for a short psalm, Psalm 87, and thank you that the place where you meet is glorious and you know your people. Father, I pray that here today we would, we would respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.